HD3 Detroit, KMPS HD3 Seattle, WBMX HD3 Boston, and on AOL Radio and Yahoo Launchcast. Psychic Radio is now CBS Radio's The Sky. Back to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Call now 248 545 Soul. New SkyRadio.com. Did Nikola Tesla almost destroy the world? Could ghost ships be the victims of quantum entanglement? Is the dear old multiverse behind it all? Hello there, and welcome to the 344th broadcast of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. And those thought-provoking questions came from my co-host and partner in the paranormal, my dad. Our guest this evening seems to be right up our street in his thinking. Nevertheless, uh... Terrence Aim uh, seems to be something of a man of mystery. His bio talks about the, the book, which we really enjoyed, uh, his method and, me- and media credits, but there's very little about the man. Uh, from searching the Internet, we can see that Terrence writes poetry and fiction as well as nonfiction. But other than that, I'm going to let him uh, tell us a little bit about himself. Uh, himself. So, Terrence, uh, go ahead. Just tell us uh, about your early life and how you get into uh, multiverse studies, so to speak. I'll be happy to, and thank you for having me on, Paul, and... Uh... I wanted to say to uh, Ben and all of the other listeners out there <clears throat> that uh, I'm really having a pleasure to be here. And uh, a little bit about my background. Uh, I was born in uh, Minnesota, but I grew up in the Chicagoland area where I happen to be right now. Uh, I bounced all over the map for a while. I lived out on the West Coast, uh, lived in Las Vegas, lived up on the northern part of the West Coast, and uh, commuted back and forth uh, very often between the West Coast and New York City. Um, I'm one of uh, four children, and my parents were both educators, and later my father became a business executive. Okay. I had three three basic uh, loves in my life, the arts, which includes uh, literature and writing, uh, the sciences, which includes almost all of them, and the financial world. <clears throat> so when I became a teenager, I decided I had to choose one of them. I couldn't do all three at the same time, <laughs> so I chose the financial world. And I got involved with Wall Street, and that was my career for uh, a good part of my life. And uh, when I left Wall Street, I decided to go into my second great love, which was concentrating on the sciences and uh, the arts, specifically writing. Now, I wrote business articles when I was in uh, in business, and I wrote articles about Wall Street and about trading and, and uh, things like of that nature. So I've been published in uh, regular magazines and uh, business uh, newspapers and periodicals. But now I'm doing a lot of writing primarily on news stories that cover science or extrapolation of science or scientific ideas or the things that are still unknown, the things that are just beyond science, the things that orthodox science often tends to ignore because they have no answer for them. And so that's how I got involved with writing uh, about great mysteries, which have intrigued me from the time I was a boy. And that's how I came to write Mysteries of the Multiverse, uh, which is a rather eclectic uh, 25 different chapters that tie into four different uh, primary uh, areas that include the nature of time, space itself, things that are stranger than fiction, and finally things that are very odd that even puzzle science. And that encompasses everything that's in the mysteries of the multiverse. Outstanding. Well, uh, we should have said this before you started your intro, but Terrence Eam, welcome to Behind the Paranormal. Well, thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> the, the formal... 
All right, now that we have got a formal introduction, uh, let's uh, talk about your book, uh, Mysteries of the Multiverse, uh, 25 True Stories from Time and Space. And it's full of fascinating accounts of uh, what can happen when parallel worlds overlap. So uh, we said we'd leave it up to you like, what stories you wish to discuss. So uh, where do you want to start off? Well, I think maybe the best thing to do is to tie it into time travel because a lot of people think that time travel involves dimensional travel. But actually, many people are, are a little bit unclear about the difference between dimensions and what you might call parallel universes or the multiverse. That's true. And not all universes are parallel. Uh, according to uh, Michio Kaku, uh, who is a strong proponent of the multiverse theory based on the string theory, uh, what you were looking at with the multiverse are literally universes like ours, universes that are stranger than ours, and universes that may be nothing but just great big empty, uh, empty voids uh, where there's nothing that's actually been created in them at all. And the strange thing about the multiverse is if you take a look at a model of it, it would be like soap bubbles in a bubble bath where there's bubbles on top of bubbles on top of bubbles. And these bubbles go on infinitely, and universes are being created infinitely, and all the universes together are called the multiverse because there's multiple universes. Sometimes, according to some of the data and some of the things that are occurring out there, there's circumstantial evidence that universes might cross. And there might be physical evidence of that with black holes and... Uh, quasars and that type of thing, that's still speculative science. But there's also other anomalies that occur that are outside of black holes and, and outside of quasars, and that would be strange incidents that occur not only in space but right on our planet, right on our own world, that really, if you take a look at what's occurred, the phenomena is most easily explained by having some type of interaction with a parallel world or a multiverse, if you will. Exactly. And following the old axiom of Occam's razor, which is the most, the simplest answer is probably the correct answer. The simplest answer in some of these cases is a multiverse, an interaction or an interfacing with a multiverse. And the reason why that answer is not forthcoming in orthodox science to this time is because the multiverse is really a hypothesis and has yet to be proven other than mathematically. Are we related? Uh, for the past 42, by the, by the late 1970s, I'd come to the, this conclusion from working in what today might be called a, a ghost studies or research when, when I was in the seminary. And uh, I, I, I couldn't explain what I was seeing. I was in the trenches, and, and the, the old spiritualist approach just didn't come close to covering it. Uh, wasn't good enough, and sure enough, uh, I began to stumble on some of the the, that, the information from that period on quantum mechanics, and uh, it just I said, my gosh, this is the only thing that comes anywhere near explaining what I was seeing. And when I when I applied those and built some methods out of it, the, the results were absolutely astounding. Um, and uh, of course, Ben kind of grew up with this, and today we we, we uh, apply these these theories and methods not because I sat in the physics classroom, but because I saw it's really the only explanation for what I've seen uh, as as a student of philosophy, theology, and uh, psychology, and, and all this other business. And so, so keep going. You're 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 right up our street. <laughs> well, <clears throat> I would I would agree with much of what you're saying. The investigations that I've done myself, which includes research and also some personal experiences with what you might call quote-unquote entities, 
which would the layman might call ghosts, which I think is a generalized term that applies to a lot of different phenomena that's not sure. really related. But it's lumped under the name ghosts or spirits. Mm -hmm. Part of it would be what I call time loops. It's nothing more than an imprint on space-time. It's like a recording, like a video or an audio recording. The monks that are in the Abbey in England, for instance, are a good example of that. The, uh, <clears throat> the, the Union soldiers that are in that one inn where they did reconstruction of it, and they had always been seen walking the floors. Once they did the reconstruction, you only see them from about uh, mid-calf up, and that's because the floor had been raised. Well, that is a, kind of a tip-off that... What you're looking at is some kind of recording that's actually imprinted on space-time and under the correct conditions, if maybe the humidity is right, if the magnetic field is right, maybe the temperature, maybe a lot of different variables that have to be repeated to be able to explain how you could bring them into being and see what you're seeing in a three-dimensional holographic type of way, then what you have is a recording and it's not a spirit and it's not some phenomenon that can't be explained. On the other hand, if you have poltergeist, that's not the same. If you have an apparition, which you can actually speak with and looks like a real human being, and you wouldn't even know that they're a ghost or a spirit until suddenly they just vanish before your eyes. Well, that's not the same thing, too. It's not imprinted on time. I've had experience uh, by chance with an apparition, and I also had an experience with what I would call loop time, where you're seeing something, the same event that repeats itself, just like a recording, over and over again, seen by different people, and they don't understand the phenomena, so they think they've seen a ghost. Exactly. Well, I, I might just uh, just interject a, a little bit of counterpoint there, uh, I, I, just from my own personal opinion. Um, I, it's funny, because I was one of the early advocates of the, the residual haunting theory, you know, the recording thing, no matter how it might occur. And uh, I began to doubt it. I was just certainly possible. What you say is entirely possible and, and uh, even probable. But I have... Um, no, I, I'm saying I want to say something. Oh, okay. All right. I'm just looking at things. All right. Well, just very briefly, uh, I found that I was able to interact with many of these things that might be interpreted as loops and change them. So, I'm um, go ahead, Ben. Well, perhaps it is. It's still a theory to to most mainstream scientists because it is insanely hard to repeat a phenomena such as the multiverse, and it's all based on a materialistic, dualistic way of thinking. Well, if it doesn't repeat itself over and over again, then it doesn't exist. That sort of thing. But the math proves it exists, so it can't say that it doesn't exist. But maybe they need to change their laws in order to be able to see it. Do you know what I'm saying? You probably missed well, that whole first half. But. Well, well, we can take a look at things historically, too, that were considered to be paranormal. One of the greatest examples probably was lightning. For hundreds of years, lightning was considered to be supernatural. It was considered to be something that was being controlled by a deity or a god. And it wasn't until science caught up with it and finally started experimenting with it that Benjamin Franklin had his famous kite and key experiment that lightning was then realized to be nothing more than electricity. And after the electricity was learned to be harnessed, we now run our whole world on it. I'm not saying that we're going to be, run, be able to run our whole world on ghosts, but what I do believe is that part of the phenomena of ghosts definitely is this imprinting upon the space-time continuum. And this might be the area that physics could get a handle on because this is something that replicates itself, sometimes with some regularity. So if you actually had some funding and experimentation to determine why it's re repeating itself, then what you would do is try to make it repeat. 
Yeah. Once you learn how to make it repeat, now you're starting to get, gain some real knowledge. Things where you're interacting with, that's a different type of phenomena. But okay. like I said, I'll, I'll let you interrupt. I'm sorry, Terrence, I'll interrupt. Okay. We have a break coming up. But uh, we'll, we'll certainly continue our discussion with Terrence Aim. Get into some of the stories in his book uh, very briefly as soon as we get back from our break. You are listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on CBS New Sky Radio, NewSkyRadio.com. We will be right back. So what are you thankful for? The I'm Thankful Network explores the positive. Join host Sue Lundquist Tuesdays at noon Eastern Time. Empowering women, empowering lives. The I'm Thankful Network on New Sky Radio. Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern, the Dr. Pat Show is alive with a distinctive blend of interviews with a mix of uplifting and intelligent news, educational and practical information. Get in the know. Following Dr. Pat, join host Laura Lee for Laura Lee's Spirit Salon. Contact your dearly departed spirit guides and angels to find answers, closure, guidance, insight, revelations, and prophecy regarding matters of the heart by contacting the other side through acclaimed medium Laura Lee. You are not alone. Batter up. Life's a game. Win. Call and get advice from today's top coaches that are here to help you win the game of life. The Coach Me Network is live starting at 5 p.m. Eastern Time. Call in early. The lines are hot. 248-545-7685. Instant feedback at NewSkyRadio.com. New Sky Radio. NewSkyRadio.com. New Horizons. No Boundaries. Powered by CBS, Yahoo, and Radio.com.
CBS Radio's The Sky. Back to Behind the Paranormal. With Paul and Ben Eno. Call now. 248-545-SOL. NewSkyRadio.com. And welcome back. And our conversation this evening is with Terrence Ain, the uh, very engaging author of Mysteries of the Multiverse, 25 True Stories from Time and Space. And uh, Terrence, uh, before we go uh, philosophizing off into the blue, I thought perhaps we could get to some of the stories and you were going to take us into time travel. Yeah, I think something that intrigues a lot of people and has always intrigued me uh, is, first of all, can time travel exist? And if time travel is possible, then... Like Michio Kaku says, does that mean that time travel has always existed? And I think the answer to that is probably a yes. Time travel is possible, and time travel probably has always existed, because once you create a machine that allows you to travel through time, uh, then all of time is open, and and time travel has always existed by the very fact that you have a machine that can travel through time. Now, one of the reasons why I argue that point is that a lot of people don't realize that we're orbiting a third-generation star. And what that means is that long before our sun even coalesced in space as nothing but a nebula and gas that was condensing and becoming hot and becoming a a baby star, a protostar, there were worlds out there that had already existed billions of years. And there were second-generation stars and first-generation stars. So if you go back billions of years, whether or not any of the civilizations that developed back then still exist is unknown. But there's probably still civilizations that exist that are at least tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, perhaps millions of years older than us. And if time travel is at all possible, then at some point uh, within the first one or two billion years of the universe, there must have been a race that was able to find a way to travel through time and maybe even travel through the multiverse. And we have evidence of that right on our own Earth. And the evidence that we have is probably evidence of human time travel. And uh, someone once said, I think it was a a challenge to some physicists who believed that time travel was true. In fact, I think that Stephen Hawking even voiced it one time, was that if time travel is true, then why aren't we seeing time travelers all over the place? And the answer may be we may be seeing time travelers. That's right. Perhaps UFOs, part of at least the phenomena of UFOs, are time travelers. It may not have to be multidimensional ships like, uh, uh, you know, J. Allen Hynek thought just before he died. Uh, a few years before he died, I had the pleasure to meet him where he had given a lecture, and I had a chance to talk with him for several minutes, and it was right at the period of time where he was thinking that first UFOs were actual nut-and-bolt ships, that they had physical properties beyond our understanding in science, and that they were not coming from another star system in our galaxy, but that they were coming from another universe. And, and he really was beginning to believe that from all of the cases that he had had. Well, I think that you have 
other universes, and I also think it's tied in with time, and it's tied in with the quanta, and the quanta is uniform throughout the multiverses. And when you take a look at all of this, you can say, all right, well, then, is there any evidence at all, even a smidgen of evidence, that shows that time travel could actually really exist, and there is. And one of the things is when you have miners and people who are digging into the earth at rock quarries, for hundreds of years now they've been pulling up things that are literally impossible. Uh, one of the most famous was an artifact that was found that's been dated as 100 million years old, and it's an aluminum alloy screw. Now, there's a problem with that. According to our history, aluminum wasn't even discovered until the early 1800s, and alloys weren't made of it until about 1840, yet this is 100 million years old, and it's a machine screw. How did it get there? Well, some people might say, well, it was dropped there. But the problem with that was it was found in solid rock, and there was lots of witnesses, and they dug it out of the rock. And so when you take a look at the documentation of how they found this aluminum alloy screw, you basically have three different ways it could have gotten there unless all of the witnesses were lying, which is unlikely because there's been a lot of other artifacts that have been found since then that are just as unusual. All right, well, what are the three possible answers? Well, you could say non-humans, aliens, if you will, visited the planet and accidentally dropped it. Okay, and that's a possibility. Or another one is that our entire science and the history and origins of mankind is completely wrong. And mankind, the human race, actually has existed for hundreds of millions of years, and that we had very advanced societies that all became barbarous and collapsed and almost went extinct and then rose again and then collapsed and almost went extinct. And even though there's no record of human beings existing back beyond maybe about two million years or so ago, you would have to throw all that out and say that very advanced human beings with the metallurgy uh, technology uh, existed as far back as 100, 200 million years ago, all right? Finally, the third thing is you could say that they're time travelers. They were from the future. They were surveying the prehistoric past. Maybe they were professors. Maybe they were students. Maybe they were just people on a vacation. And they were carrying things around, and they got careless, and they dropped it. And they didn't even notice they dropped it. Or if they did, they thought, well, that won't make too much difference because we have a history where people found strange things in coal mines and rock stratas and stuff like that. So this will just be one more oddity that people can't explain. And I think that when you take a look at the entire, uh, the entire array of things that have been found in coal mines and in rock strata and the deep in quarries, uh, artifacts of machined products, spheres that are alloys that should never have existed, bells and jewelry that's been dated as much as 60, 70 million years old when the dinosaurs were still roaming Earth. I think you could make a, a fairly strong circumstantial case that these are of human origin, and they're not from visitors from the stars or from uh, another multiple. Yeah, and I tend to agree. I think that the the uh, rise and fall theory, and, and many of the native cultures around the world uh, point to as many as four times and we have gone, as it were, from stone tools to power tools, so to speak. Uh, but that, that, uh, in that, that, that depth in, in time, 100 million years, that doesn't seem quite logical uh, when we're talking about the last two million years. That's an awful lot of empty time that we know nothing about as far as our own race is concerned. So, yeah, that. But I see I see exactly what you're saying. Now, Ben, you any comment on uh, well, Terrence's approach? There are a lot of other interesting things, too, like um, uh, Mohen- like Mohenjo-Daro out in uh, Pakistan, correct? Mm, yeah. Where, like, everything was, like, melted as if it was in, like, a nuclear blast, all that sort of weird. There's all these strange little burps in history that you don't know if it's time travel or not. 
So it's definitely a valid theory, as valid as everything else. I mean, they're like some of the explanations for these things are crazier than the phenomena itself. <laughs> it's, yeah, I've been in it, cases where the press speculated that their speculation was crazier than what actually. And happened. the thing is, nobody takes certain things like this seriously, and I, I, I think that's not fair mm. because it's just as valid as everything else. Like saying that, like I, I remember when um the dinosaur, like a uh, T Rex was still had like this weird sloping body and the tail was all over the place, sort of like Godzilla. And then they actually found out that the full skeleton is all, like, straight and stuff. And they're like, oh, well, we don't know why that happened or whatever. We don't really know anything. No, we don't. That's really, we don't. We really don't know anything. And, and uh, Terrence's speculation thing is very very apt and very uh, very articulate. Indeed. And it's definitely valid. And I, yeah. I appreciate it. Yeah. Well, there's two more things I might add to it. <clears throat> One is there is fairly strong evidence, as you're saying, that there's been uh, multiple advanced cultures before ours. Uh, probably the last one that uh, was during uh, uh, the uh, during the last great ice age before the interglacial period, as long as maybe twenty to thirty thousand years ago. And the evidence for that, of course, uh, was that this, this giant city-state, perhaps several city-states, uh, were destroyed uh, in a nuclear conflagration, uh, perhaps between one that was in what's now modern-day Mongolia and the Gobi Desert of which the sand is vitrified, and it's not volcanic, and, and it would have to be high heat, and there's no uh, meteorite residue. And uh, researchers who looked at that some years ago uh, agreed that uh, it looked like the type of vitrification of uh, sand into a green glass that you would get from a nuclear blast. Then at the same time, dated about the same period of time, is the area in northern India, where that huge, great, advanced city-state was supposed to be. And it was only back in the 1990s when some construction workers were breaking ground to build a new suburban subdivision of a city that they came across this ancient city, and they found out that it was radioactive. And yeah. professors from several Indian universities went there, and it was highly radioactive. And this was the site that, according to the Mahabharata and other uh, religious texts, which are probably more history than religion, mm -hmm. uh, said that that was where they had the vimanas, the flying machines, that they had a weapon that, that was described as what we would only call a nuclear or atomic weapon, and that there was a war between two giant city-states. The other one wasn't named, but I think that the evidence lies in the Gobi Desert. All right, as far back as you can stretch it, credibly, you can't really go back more than maybe 100,000 years. So here's the question I always had. If you had the rudiments of the human race about two, two and a half million years ago, and if they came up to the same level of intelligence that we are now, say about a million years ago, which is being very conservative because it could have been longer ago than that. All right, well, if you didn't have the first advanced culture until, say, 100,000 years ago, what did the human race do for 900,000 years? Exactly. Were we so that it took 900,000 years to create the first advanced culture that no one alive today even recognizes. And if you throw that out and, and, and the scholar says, no, there's no evidence for that, all we have is the evidence that we started doing stuff about eight to 10,000 years ago and we started having some kind of civilization about six to 7,000 years ago, then the question is, well, what did we do for two million years? Yeah, extremely good question. And, uh, and then all of a sudden, in 6,000 years, we go from learning agriculture to traveling to other worlds in space? Mm -hmm. doesn't make sense. It doesn't. Well, what one might no. ask about our own culture. I mean, we have everything, everything's glass and steel. 
it's it's essentially biodegradable. We don't do very much with stone. Uh, you know, the, the twenty thousand years from now, who's going to know that we exist? Everything's digital. Uh, I suppose they might find books tend to last. I don't know, but uh, yeah, one might ask a similar question of uh, future researchers. Mm-hmm. So anyway, well, that's well, we'll get that, that's um, certainly absolutely a fascinating line of discussion that we've speculated about many times. And I, I go back through it in, in my book, Turning Home. But uh, okay, we have we'll come up on another break here. All right. But I think when we come back, Terrence, I'd like to uh, maybe continue the theme of time travel and get into one or two other stories in your book, too, because you really cover many, many bases in this book. So uh, we'll, we'll do that as soon as we come back. You are listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on CBS New Sky Radio, NewSkyRadio.com. Our guest, Terrence Aim, author of Mysteries of the Multiverse, 25, time, 25 True Stories from Time and Space. We will be right back. Take CBS Radio The Sky with you wherever you go. Be sure to download the Radio.com app today from your mobile marketplace. And when you really want to know more, 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 be sure to visit NewSkyRadio.com. Get in deep with exclusive articles and sky news. Get your weekly horoscope and the inside scoop on host events. Radio.com and NewSkyRadio.com. Stay connected.
Psychic Radio is now CBS Radio's The Sky. Back to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Call now. 248-545-SOUL. New SkyRadio.com. Believe. And we are back with our uh, very, very interesting guest, Terrence Aim, author of Mysteries of the Multiverse, 25 True Stories from Time and Space. Are we pronouncing your name? Not now, now that we uh, are halfway through the show. Are we pronouncing your name correctly, Terrence? Terrence Aim is, is the absolute correct. Oh, very good. Very good. I'm usually vast ahead of time. Okay. So um, yeah, I wanted to get back a little bit to, uh, to uh, the idea of time travel. How would you respond to this? Uh, now, I'd love you to tell us about the, the Russian scientist who claims to have invented a time machine. But um, I, I would put that in counterpoint to a shaman who claims to travel through time and space without a machine and how that might occur. So take it away. Well, a shaman who claims to travel through time and space without a machine cannot bring back any physical evidence. Oh, I, I don't know about that. Have you worked with any well, shaman? Well, I don't know what physical evidence they could bring back. They how about people? Okay. Well, well, all right. Well, well, let's get to that after you've explained about the Russian okay. scientist. All right. Take one step. Well, I'm looking more. I'm looking more at the nuts and bolts physics of it. Sure. And not not the spirituality of it. Well, that's the same and, thing. And, say. Well, well just, let, just let the man finish. Okay. Sure. Thank you, Ben. <laughs> Who's was the dad here? Okay. I'd like to real quickly wrap up the, the reason why I think it's time travelers when when you see these artifacts in the past, and that is because there have been almost countless. Uh, circumstances where there have been uh, footprints and shoe prints found. Uh, one of the most famous are the Carson fossil footprints that were discovered in 1883. They were made by more than one person. They were investigated by uh, a gentleman who was a mycologist from the California Academy of Sciences, and he determined that they were uh, made by normal-sized men and that the rock strata that these footprints were found in, which were human, they determined they were human, was 1.8 million years old. Mm-hmm. Now, you might say, well, if human beings, you know, some form of human being existed as far back as maybe 2 million years old, that maybe that accounts for it and they may not be time travelers. But then there's other footprints that have been found. For instance, famous ones that were found in Kentucky back in the 1930s reported on by the New York Times. There, they were from the Permian period, and they were definitely uh, identified as human footprints, and they were approximately 300 million years old. Mm-hmm. They were leather shoe f- footprints that they determined were about the size of uh, a 13-size uh, shoe. And it was looked at with microscopes, and they determined that the sandstone that the uh, person had walked on was crushed and compacted compared to the sandstone around it, which showed that the person's weight was approximately 165 to 180 pounds. So that's that's pretty good forensic evidence. Wow, and then there's many more that have been found, including one set of tracks that were so good that the person was wearing sandals and they could see the leather stitching on the soles of the sandals and knew that the person had an instep where they were walking more towards the inside of their feet than the outside by the tracks and the way where they were left. Those happened to be also about 290 million years old. Mm -hmm. So those were found in New Mexico. I've seen the Pelosi Riverbed uh, fossils, too. That's human footprints alongside dinosaur footprints. 
Yeah, that's that's and there's there's that other one which is uh, of course controversial, but it seems to be showing a human footprint that's crushed a trilobite. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Yeah, an ancient creature that lived approximately 160 million years ago, and the, and the boots came down on a living trilobite, crushed it, and there's a fossil of the trilobite underneath the boot print. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah. So that that tends to make me believe that these are more likely to be human time travelers. Now, do they have to be human tra- time travelers from our future? Well, once again, what is the future? You know, I mean, if you have time travel, there is no past, present, or future. It's all just one timeless uh, period where you can go to any part of it. And the time machine, once it's started up, means that uh, time travel exists through all time. Sure. And now we can turn very briefly, if you'd like, to the scientist in, uh, in Russia who is an engineer who has claimed that he's built two time machines. One was a prototype model, and the other one was one where he actually got some colleagues to enter it with him and do a time travel experiment with human beings, including himself. And he's very enamored of time travel, but he's also a bit frightened of time travel. And one of the things that he says that troubles him about it is that we have no way of knowing that there aren't other time travelers and they aren't already doing it. And for those of us that are in normal history, a shift in history, a shift in time, someone changing time could wipe out thousands of people, even bring down governments, and we wouldn't even know it because the change would be incorporated into our memory. And a good friend of ours that we just went bowling with last week might disappear the next morning, and we would never even recognize the loss. By the time we awoke, that person had never existed. Well, there is the issue of the grandfather paradox you're talking about. You know, you go back and shoot your own grandfather, how could you be born? But, of course, in in, in the the usual interpretation of the multiverse, you've created another one. The one in which you were created doesn't change. And that this is how these universes are born. That's the current theory. Yeah. I don't know if that theory is going to be holding 50 or 100 years from now. Maybe not. keep changing the theories. No. What may happen is you may uh, automatically create a, a different multiverse or another universe yeah. where everything goes on from there, or you may not. I've been doing a look at the uh, you know the, the multiverse and the quanta and how it ties into the the human mind, and we're affected by the quanta and we affect the quanta. Mm-hmm. It's a two-way street. In fact, part of dreams, part of dreaming itself, could be downloading information from the quanta into the human mind or any intelligent mind, any cognitive mind. It doesn't have to be human. And then you're also uploading data to to what you would call existence. Or if you will, you could say the quanta is God. So you say you're talking about the uncertainty principle. Taken to the next step? No, that's Heisenberg. That, that really has nothing to do with what I'm talking about. What I'm talking okay. about is dimensionality or the multiverse qualities of the human mind. Right. How we're anchored. Here. This reality that we perceive as reality, we're anchored here because of the quantum aspects of our mind. Maybe that's what you're talking about with these shamans, where they're able to lift their anchor, if you will, and go sailing across the quantum sea and, and throw out the anchor somewhere else, and now they're into a different type of reality. There's something and like that. Made, yes, but who knows? That's something that has to be discovered. I don't know how much investigation has or even could be done in that. But uh, backtracking slightly and going back to our, our hero in Russia, <laughs> Alexandrovich Cherbanov. 
I mean, you can't get more of a Russian name than that, right? No, sir. He claims he's accomplished what others have never done, and he's built a working time machine. And what he's done is he's built it and tested it and given lectures about it at the uh, Moscow Aircraft University where he did the first working model. Now, to me, either this guy is a little bit crazy or he is one of the bravest men I've ever heard of in my life. He tested a prototype that looked almost like a small, futuristic type of Soviet Sputnik satellite, and he put small animals and insects in there. Every time he put something in the time machine and activated it, it came out dead. Hmm. Well, that's reassuring. <laughs> right. So after he'd done experiments with insects and grasshoppers and... Uh, some small animals, and I think even a, a mouse, and they all came out dead. Then he decided to build a full working model. Uh-huh. Right, go for both. <laughs> a full working model of the sphere, and then he had uh, highly accurate chronometers, uh, chronometers set up uh, outside of the sphere and one inside the sphere to show that he was able to actually slow down time, which is what the experiment was supposed to accomplish. He then talked some of his uh, associates at the, uh, at the Moscow Aircraft uh, University to attend him inside this time sphere, and they did. Now, according to their notations after the experiment, first they all survived, which is a happy circumstance. That's good. Yeah. And the second thing is they all said they felt nauseated and disoriented. But the most remarkable third thing was that they all attested and uh, documented that the chronometers inside the time sphere ran at a different rate than the ones outside the time sphere while the experiment was in progress. In fact, uh, there was a several seconds uh, disparity between the two, and there these are highly, uh, you know, highly engineered, highly accurate uh, timepieces. How do you account so, for that? Well, I think that he accounts for it by uh, the belief that he can affect time through magnetic fields. And okay. what he's, he's created uh, magnetic fields that, uh, that play off against one another, creating a resonance, a resonance rather, and that he's able to affect physical time. Now, I don't know if, if this is ever going to be able to create uh, H.G. Wells' time machine where you jump into it and, and go ahead 800,000 years and meet the Eloy or something like that. <laughs> It's certainly something where he's showing that we do have the ability to create some type of technology that can affect time other than just Einsteinian relativity where you have two jets traveling you know, around the circumference of the world in different directions, and then the atomic clocks have a disparity. That's mm. known. This is a physical one using magnetic fields, which is a totally different approach. So it's very interesting, and it shows that there could well be something to time travel and that human beings either 100,000 years ago with a very advanced civilization that maybe uh, was on Mars, or maybe 100,000 years or even 1,000 years from now, our, our ancestors will yeah. be building time. Sure. Well, just to, get, just to touch again on our poor shaman here, um, th these, these were, again, I must admit, I heard them 30 years ago secondhand, but I was uh, in northern Quebec and Australia, not at the same time, although multiversally that's possible. Uh, we had shamans who were 
Uh, oh, we have another break coming. I'm sorry. I'll have to wait till after the break. Well, you are listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on CBS New Sky Radio, NewSkyRadio.com. Stay with us after the break. We'll continue our conversation. Thursday is a power-packed day here on the sky. Join us at noon for the I'm Thankful Network. At 1 p.m., it's the Dr. Pat Show. At 4 p.m., Colette Baron-Reed takes the stage for the Colette Baron-Reed Show. The Colette Baron-Reed Show, where intuition, practical spirituality, great advice, a little woo-woo fun, and fabulosity meet. Colette Baron-Reed is an internationally renowned intuitive counselor, educator, and best-selling author who helps others recognize and connect with their own intuition, potential, and purpose. Powerful motivational speaker, charismatic broadcast personality, and acclaimed performer, storyteller, and recording artist, Colette uses her extraordinary spiritual gifts to empower her clients to live a life that is awake and authentic, and to create a reality that is spiritual, deliberate, and meaningful. Call in early. The lines are hot. 248-545-7685. Instant feedback at NewSkyRadio.com. New Sky Radio. NewSkyRadio.com. New Horizons, no boundaries. Powered by CBS, Yahoo, and Radio.com. Clouds 
Psychic Radio is now CBS Radio's The Sky. Back to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Call now. 248-545-SOUL. New SkyRadio.com. And we are back with our guest, Terrence Aim, author of Mysteries of the Multiverse, 25 True Stories from Time and Space. And uh, I, I don't know where this hour has gone. And we, we've only, only just scratched the surface here. But before we run out of time, Terrence, tell us about where, we, where people can get the book and where they can find out more about you and, and what you're working on. Okay, well, uh, actually I'm working on a sequel to the book right now. They say by popular demand, but in this case it's actually true. Many of the people who have read the book, it was pretty popular. Uh, and they asked if a sequel's coming out, and the publisher gave me a green light to go ahead and do that. So I'm going to start writing it in uh, June. Very good. The current book, the first one in the series now, uh, Mysteries uh, of the Multiverse is available at Amazon.com or Barnes and Noble. It's available as an ebook and as a uh, paperback book. Uh, and you can just go to Amazon and if you type in my name, T E R R E N C E A Y M, I have a uh, public uh, an author's page there, mm-hmm. which they were kind enough to give me because they only extend that to authors that have, I guess, popular books. Mm-hmm. So I have an author's page, and you can go right to that, and you can order, uh, if you would like to read it, either the uh, Kindle version or you can order the paperback version. And at Barnes & Noble, they have the, uh, the Nook version. Excellent. And, uh, well, we'll push that. Oh, they were the Amazon's. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say that it also just became recently available in the U.K. Oh, very good. Okay. Well, Amazon's one of the sponsors of our other show. Oh, so we'll <laughs> certainly uh, second that. Okay. Very good. I okay, so, so I'm sorry. Why don't you tell us a little bit more about it so people don't think it's all about time travel? Sure. Well, they can also go to my Twitter feed. I write articles uh, at least several weeks, sometimes one almost every day. Most of them are about things like this, and that's Terrence Aim on my Twitter feed. Or I, they can go to my Facebook page, which is they can type in Terrence Aim, and they'll see it come up as Terrence Aim right on. That's my public page, and you can just click and like on it, and then you'll get a lot of the new information that comes up on that. But the book is much more than just time travel, and there's more to the time travel than we just discussed. For instance, animals coming out of time, ships appearing out of time, uh, an an animal that was killed by a laser beam 6,000 years ago, and the Russians (laughs) have done forensic evidence that that's true. And then there's strange things happening in space, and I have quite a number of chapters about strange uh, things, aliens, and, and the astronaut's last ghostly flight, a famous astronaut that many witnesses saw, and the FAA themselves thought that he was still alive and he had died hours earlier. Oh, that was, uh, was that um, Ed Aldrin? No, it was not. Okay, because uh, I, I remember it in your book, I, I can't quite remember the name of the astronaut, though. Well, um, Buzz Aldrin. Yeah, then there's Stranger Than Fiction, and that has a lot of different strange paranormal events that are really tied into the multiverse as an explanation. And finally, it wraps up with Stranger Than Science, and these are some of the most chilling chapters. One, the story of the giant five-foot spiders that are spotted in the Congo. Oh, for that. Yeah, and then the mysterious monster of the Amazon, which even even, uh, National Geographic now believes exists. 160 to 180 feet long that shoots down prey by shooting jets of water like a fire hose into the trees to knock prey down. It has a mouth that's six feet wide, and the natives say if you turn your back on it, you're gone. <laughs> I would think so one way or the other. The other thing, yeah. Yeah. It's the Yakumama. 
a terrifying creature, possibly one of the, the most terrifying creatures on, on the face of the earth. And can you touch on Nikola Tesla since we mentioned him in the beginning? Yeah, well, Nikola Tesla, there's a very odd thing that happened with him, and he even alluded to it himself years later, and that's when he had Wardenclyffe, his big uh, uh, complex that was on Long Island, New York. First he had built a smaller version of it in Colorado Springs, Colorado, and then with the funding he had, he went to Long Island, New York, and built a very large version of it, and he was experimenting with uh, generating, in essence, artificial lightning, and from that, he developed what he later told the U.S. Uh, uh, the Department of War that he had developed a death ray. And his early experiments with the death ray included Wardenclyffe. And one of the uh, one of the tests that he did, uh, there's very strong evidence that despite what the people are saying now, caused uh, the gigantic uh, explosion in Tunguska wow. being fragments of a meteor or, or fragments of a comet. Well, I'm afraid we're going to have to hold it there. We're just flat out of time. But, Terrence, it's been fascinating, and thank you so much. We're definitely going to have you back. I consider you a friend of the show, and uh, I'm sure the audience agrees. Thank you so much for being with us. Yes, thank you. It's a pleasure. Well, Ben and Paul, thank you so much. Okay. Mysteries of the Multiverse, 25 True Stories from Time and Space, folks. Check it out, definitely. Thank you again. Okay, we're just going to end with a few announcements here. Uh, many thanks to those who attended our program in Montpelier, Vermont, on May 5th and donated to the Cure Search Cancer Walk for Children in honor of Team Libby and our cousin, uh, Libby Coolis, childhood cancer survivor. Uh, you helped put Team Libby over the top in donations. Thank you so very much. So find out more about Libby and how you can help uh, in the What's New section at www.behindtheparanormal.com. Okay, now this Thursday, May 17th, Ben and I, if you happen to live in southern New England or anywhere near there or in the ocean, uh, Ben and I will be presenting at the Nature's Store, 151 Chase Road, Portsmouth, Rhode Island, from 5 to 7 p.m. It's a great place. Fossils, rocks, crystals, Native American items, shells, lots of interesting items and events. Nature's Online, nature's-online.com. Come, come and check us out and meet us if you are available to do so. So we'll be in Torrington, Connecticut on July 19th and Suffolk, England on September 22nd. And watch for uh, watch for more info on these events. Yeah, we've got a busy uh, summer coming up here. Speaking of Suffolk, England, uh, the Rendlesham 2012 conference is taking place on June 17th in Woodbridge. Get your tickets at www.rendlshamufo.com. Rendlesham being spelled R-E-N-D-L-E-S-H-A-M. All right, so many thanks to our producer, Brandon Jackson, and we'll see you next week, May, May 20th, when we will be back on the Rendlesham Forest UFO case of 1980, but with two former U.S. Air Force witnesses you may not have heard of before, uh, uh, Monroe Nevels and Lori Rayfeld. And in the meantime, tune into our Boston Providence drive time show on WOON, 1240 AM, and OWNWorldwide.com at 6 p.m. Eastern Time every Monday. And you can always get free podcasts of all our shows, along with show schedules and guest information at www.behindtheparanormal.com. And we'll leave you with a quick thought from that lovable old, old horse, George Bernard Shaw. A life spent making mistakes is not only more honorable, but more useful than a life spent doing nothing. Thanks for joining us in our great cosmic journey. We'll see you next time.